he's here this morning yes. in my living room, Lord. Come and be with me, come and minister to my heart. Let your fire fall upon me, let your spirit fall upon me, let your grace fall upon me. Let your heart fall upon me. Let your water rush over me. Let your water wash over me. Let your living water rush over me. Let your I hear those words being sung this word comes up in my heart it's the word resonate 
Let my heart sound like you, Lord. Let my heart resonate to your heart, to the frequencies of your voice. I thank you, Lord, for this time this morning. We can bring such glory and praise to your name. We do it here this morning. We say, Lord, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. We might not be in fellowship in a physical building, but we are the church. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you, fellowshipping with you this morning. Just drink, have another drink on him. Wow, he's declaring his spirit being poured out onto us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, the word and the spirit together, coming together and unifying in power and authority and in love and gentleness. And so I kneel before the Father from whom his family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Through his glorious riches, he may strengthen us with power through his spirit inside of us, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted in love, may have power. That surpasses knowledge That we may be filled To the measure of all The fullness of God So I kneel before the Father From whom is family Heaven and on earth derives its name. And through his glorious riches, he may strengthen us with power through his spirit inside of us. And so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we. 
Well, today we're carrying on with our series of Overflow, and the title of today's message is Overflow of Holiness. Now, I'm sure that some of you, when you hear the title Holiness and meet, wanting to talk about holiness, you may, you may have a question in your mind that will be something like, is this really something that we should talk about today? Is that, isn't there things that are more relevant and more real in life, more pressing in terms of our everyday experience that, that may be more worthwhile to talk about than talk about holiness? Um, because many of us, you know, holiness is a difficult thing to understand and get hold of. And often we think, yes, we believe there's such a thing as holiness, but it's, it's really for people that are advanced in their faith and in their Christianity. Sometimes we have this picture of holiness of, of like monks that, you know, live on top of a mountain and amongst the clouds and, and they so separate from everything. And, and, and really, what does holiness have to do with me and today and this world? And is that isn't there other things that we could rather be talking about that'll be more helpful? But obviously, I believe that it's important for us to understand holiness. And, and I want to say the reason I want to talk about holiness and the overflow of holiness today is because without an understanding of holiness, the rest of life won't make much sense for us. If, if you understand holiness, everything else fits in to that picture and therefore, I say it makes all the difference. It's very real and, and pressing and needed that we continue to understand what holiness is and have a concept of what this really very biblical concept of holiness is all about. And to do that, uh, I want to use an analogy just right off the, off the bat to describe um, what I think is so important about understanding holiness. Um, I'm sure that it, many of you regularly bump into conversations or people and have conversations with people about the new normal. I mean, there's so much being written and spoken about. What is the new normal? Where is the new normal? And, and, and because we're living in a world that is, has changed and is continuing to change so much and we're having to adapt all the time to what is now the new normal and what will the new normal be, and there's a lot of energy and space and time spent on talking and discussing the new normal. And I find that fascinating, particularly because we're in a world that doesn't really feel comfortable with the word normal as it is. So we talk about a new normal, but it feels to me so often like society at large and popular culture has really given up on the idea of normal. We, we don't like the word normal anymore. We, we're so very aware of the, particularly when it comes to people, what is normal and who's normal, who's not normal. We're so aware of our individuality and we, we like the idea that we are we are different people, and, and we can feel that when you say something is normal, it can be restricted or it can limit people. Um, that's why uh, American Scientific American the magazines uh, gave this idea about, in, and they said, in psychology and psychiatry, it really means average or typical. When we say somebody is normal, we're really trying to say they're average or typical. But we too easily think of it as a synonym for how everyone is supposed to think and feel. So we, we, the word normal for us has become this restrictive term, this term that is like a box that we put people in. And we don't like that. We, we don't want to be like that. We, we're unique. We're each different. And so it's fascinating for me that while we are wanting to consider the new normal, we don't really feel comfortable with the word normal. I think of Sherlock Holmes in the second book of Sherlock Holmes, the series. He, he's having a conversation with Watson, and um, as he's talking with Watson, he says, you know, Watson, statisticians have shown us that we can pretty accurately predict what the average man will do in any situation. But we can never know what an individual man will do in a situation. And I think, you know, that's, 
why we don't like the word normal. But yet we're talking about the new normal all the time. And in that, I see that we still have a need for something to be reproducible, for something to be even predictable, for something to be trustworthy, for there to be a pattern that we know. This is how we used to respond. This is how we now respond. We, we want that idea. We like that idea that there's something that, that, is, that is trustworthy in the sense that it is, is predictable and that it is stable. It is certain. Uh, and so we're still looking for that. Even though in some areas we don't like the idea of normal, we're still looking for the idea of Normal. Now, why am I talking to you about normal? Because this is the first thing I want to say about holiness. Holiness is God's normal. When God established the world, we must remember, He created everything as an expression of who He is. And He is holy. So, everything was built around this pattern of the holiness of God. God is holy. Holy is therefore the normal of creation. Um, the word normal, for instance, comes from the 17th century Latin term for the carpenter's square. Now you'll see a picture on your screen of a, of a sort of antique square. And, and it was this idea that, you know, whenever they constructed a building, for instance, and they'd have a level floor, and then they would put up the, the, the pillars, you know, wooden pillars that would hold up a building. And to make sure that the building would be strong and secure, and they would make sure that every pillar was at a 90-degree angle to the level floor. So they would put this, this, this level, this carpenter's level, with its 90-degree angle. They'd put on the floor and put the pillar next to it. And if the pillar was and, and the floor was in the right relationship, this 90-degree angle, they could repeat that pattern and so they could have these pillars standing in a row and these pillars would all be similar and and you know repeatable and therefore the roof could be put and everything would be level and it would lead to a stable and strong construction and that level is where we get our word normal from so when i say god's holiness is our normal what i mean by that is god's holiness is this carpenter's level in all of creation it's the pattern by which everything else is built. Everything finds its purpose and meaning in being a description and an extension and a revelation of what and who God is. And He is holy. So that is normal. What we have to understand about this world is that there is a normal. There is a pattern. There is something that is at the foundation of everything and that which is repeated through everything else. And that is who God is. He is holy. So we do have a normal. And because we have a normal, we can therefore understand when things deviate from the norm. You know, if they built the building and they put all the pillars at 90 degree angles with the, the carpenter's level, if one, if one beam or, or pillar was standing like this, they, they would then know that there would be a problem in the rest of the construction and they could correct it because they had a normal to work off. And because God is our normal, His holiness, holiness is normal, Therefore, we have something to measure everything else by. And therefore, we can know when something deviates and is not normal, it is a deviation from that which is how God created. And that's what sin is. Sin is a deviation from the holiness of God, who God is. It's a deviation from the normal that God established. 
This world fell into sin. This world is, is in a broken state. It is in a state of, of not being a true reflection anymore of the holiness of God. It has deviated from God's original plan and God's original blueprint and, and deviated from the personhood of who God is in his holiness. It no longer reflects him. But we wouldn't know that if we, didn't, if we don't know that there is a norm. If we don't know that there is a normal, that there is a right, then we wouldn't know what is the deviation. But because we know there is a normal, we know when something deviates. I mean, we see this, for instance, in how we deal with coronavirus. You know, at the end of 2019 in, in China, they started noticing that people's bodies were behaving in a way that was not normal. They were exp experiencing symptoms that were not normal for a human body to do and what a human body shouldn't do, a healthy human body. And eventually they started noticing that people even died and then it spread all over the world and they had to study and dis discover what is this thing that is causing the deviation from what a normal healthy body should be and that's where they discovered the coronavirus this RNA virus that came into the respiratory system and now we are all working very hard and changing our behavior to get to try and get back to that which is normal to deal with the deviation the abnormality to get rid of it and so that we can live lives as normal. And that's why we talk about what is the new normal. I mean, it's amazing how many times you have to wash your hands nowadays. Every time we go into a place, we have to wash our hands. We have to wear masks. We have to socially distance. Our behavior was changed because we saw what was normal and what, that there was a deviation from the normal. And now we have to change our behavior to get back to what is normal. And that's, in a sense, what holiness is all about. Holiness is the normal. Sin is the deviation from the normal. God's working with us by His Spirit and His Word is what He is doing to get us back to the normal, to that which He intended and how we were supposed to live life all along. That's why the Bible makes a big deal about holiness and talks about holiness a lot um, and, and reminds us of holiness. Because the second thing I want to see, say about holiness is that it is hard for us to know holiness. It requires faith to see holiness. The, 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 the concept of holiness is exactly this, that it is something outside of our human experience and our human reality. It is something that is so unique and different to us that it is, it's, it's when you say to a person, let's think about holiness, you're actually asking them to think about something that they don't know. And that they've never seen. And therefore it requires faith. Um, Paul Tripp spoke about holiness and he says it requires, it requires imagination to, to understand holiness. Imagination is not the ability to conjure up what is unreal, but the capacity to see what is real but unseen. So when we consider and talk about holiness... It requires faith. You know, faith is, the, is living not by what you see, but by what you do not see. And what we do not see in this world is the holiness of God intrinsically built into this world. Therefore, we have to, by faith and through this gift and ability that God gives us to use our spiritual sight, we have to begin to see the holiness of God. And that makes it really difficult and hard. And that's sometimes why when we talk about holiness, people want to go, ah, you know, I don't know if I, it's too difficult because it requires something of us to step beyond 
ourselves. And the reason for this is the third thing I want to say about holiness. Firstly, holiness is the normal. Secondly, holiness to know it requires faith. And thirdly, I want to say holiness is, is different. It's other. The word holiness in the, in the Hebrew is the word kadosh, uh, which literally means to cut. Um, and, and translated means uh, to be cut off, to be separate from everything else. It means to be in a class of your own, distinct from anything that has ever existed or will ever exist. So the whole concept of holiness, when we say God is holy, what we're saying in part is that he is different. He is other. He is separate from us. So holiness focuses a lot about the, the transcendence of God, that, that he is not like us, um, that he is so different that he is completely other to what we know and experience. And that's why it takes faith to know him and to see him, because you're seeing something that we do not know on this earth, that is not reproduced somewhere else, that, you, that is not common knowledge for us, but it is actually something that is beyond us. And that's what the word holy means. So holy is different. Holy is other. The second meaning of that word, kadosh, is holy means to be entirely morally pure. All the time, and in every way possible, to be entirely morally pure. So when we bring those two concepts together, um, they form the whole picture of what holiness is. And, and that, that tells us that the Lord of hosts is the sum and definition of what it means to be holy. He occupies a moral space that no one has occupied before. And as such, we have no experience or frame of reference to understand what he is like, because there is nothing like him. He is wholly other. R.C. Sproul says that that which is holy is that which is different. We live on a plane of the deviation. The deviation to us has become normal in a sense because that's what we know. That's what we understand. That's what we interact with and every day. That's what our lives are shaped by and shaped around. But through the scripture and the spirit, God calls us to look beyond this which is our normal, to see that which is actually the normal. And it is only when we see God, it is only when we get the revelation of who He is, that we begin to realize how much this is a deviation from the norm, because He is the normal. But without that revelation and understanding, we, we try and figure this out, and we think this is the normal. But in God, we recognize that there is a normal which is him, which is his holiness. It requires faith to know that because it is so different and other. And therefore, it's, it's something that is only possible in the spirit, is to know God and to know his holiness. There was an interesting study done by a man in 1911 and 1912, a guy by the name of Rudolf Otto. He's a, he's a very well-respected German theologian, and a philosopher. And what he did is, as he was studying theology, and he, he, he thought about how people in different religions, different parts of the world, different cultures, how do they respond to this idea of God? And so he undertook a trip, an extensive trip, and covered a large part of the world. He started in North Africa, then he went to Palestine in the Middle East, and then he went over to India and China and Japan, and all the way around he went to the United States. And and, and then back to Europe, and he studied for two years. He lived amongst people um, that had different religions and different expressions, and to try and see how people were responding to, to God. And from this experience that he had, he wrote a little booklet that's called Das Heilige in German, and, and translated, it, it literally means in English, the idea of holiness. 
Because what he discovered is he saw that across these religions and people groups and cultures, people had an idea of holiness and that there was similarity in their idea of holiness and how they experienced holiness and how they reacted to holiness. And he termed a phrase, he, he termed a, this phrase in Latin that, that he made up to describe what he would understand holiness to be from this experience. And, and this phrase is called mysterium tremendum et fascinans, which literally translated means the terrible mystery that fascinates. Mysterium tremendum et fascinans. And, and in this he described how people reacted to Holiness by using these concepts. The Oxford Lexico defines mysterium tremendum et fascinans as a great or profound mystery, especially the mystery of God or of existence, the overwhelming awe felt by a person contemplating such a mystery. And he described how people across all cultures and religions had some interaction with something in what their the religious experience was bringing them is that they got in, in contact with something that was other, different, separate from them, that was bigger than them, and that caused in them this response of awe, this response of, of being seeing something that just blows your mind, that is outside of your frame of, of reference. And then he described the response people would have to it. So I want to I read a quote from his, and, and you'll see it on your screen, so just stay with me as, as I read this. The feeling of it may at times come sweeping, like a gentle tide, pervading the mind with a tranquil mood of deepest worship. It may pass over into a more set and lasting attitude of the soul, continuing, as it were, thrillingly vibrant and resonant. Until at last it dies away and the soul resumes its profane, non-religious mood of everyday experience. It may burst in sudden eruption up from the depths to the soul with spasms and convulsions or lead the strangest excitement to intoxicated frenzy, to transport and to ecstasy. It has its wild and demonic forms and can sink to an almost grisly, grisly horror and shuddering. It has its crude barbaric antecedents and early manifestations. And again, it may be developed into something beautiful and pure and glorious. It may become the hushed, trembling and speechless humility of the creature in the presence of whom or what, in the presence of what which is a mystery inexpressible and above all creatures. Because we know there is a God that is above, that is other than us, it evokes in us this response. And, and, and it can be twisted, it can become something that is inappropriate and given in the wrong spaces. But in its pure form, it's this response that we have to God. That is not rational, but that only God can evoke from us. This awe that we feel. But he said, furthermore, he said how people responded to this idea of holiness. He described it that they respond with ambivalence. Ambivalence being that there's two reactions that they equally have to this experience of of experiencing the holy. On the one hand, they are attracted to it. They, it appeals to them. It, it fascinates people. On the one hand, it draws them closer and they go, wow, and, and they want to see more of it. On the other hand, it repels them because it makes them afraid. It, it causes them to, to, be, to just experience this terror because it's unknown. 
So the, the fact that it's different and outside of our frame of reference both attracts us and causes us to be fascinated by it, but it also repels us and causes us to fear it. Because we know that as people, we fear that which is different and other, which is inexplainable, but we're also fascinated. <laughs> For instance, uh, it, it, one commentator said, it's, it's, we see this on, in a very base, sort of uh, profane form in the reason why people enjoy horror movies. You know, a horror movie is normally there's a monster which is other, which is so different, which is inexplainable, whether it's human behavior or some alien or some, you know, mutation or whatever. It's some behavior or thing that is so other, but yet we're attracted to it because it's fascinating, but at the same time, it horrifies us. And that's what human response is towards holiness. And that's why we see even in the scripture, it's these two elements of the love of God and the fear of God. And sometimes as Christians, we struggle. We go, do we love God or do we fear God? And we think that those two things are antithetical to one another, that you can't. But it's, it's this reality of because God is so big and so other, we love him and we fear him. Because he's outside of our frame of reference. And that's what holiness is. So holiness is the normal. It's who God is. He created everything as a representation of him and who he is, his holiness. Holiness can only be understood and, and received by faith. Holiness is, is, refers to something that is so different and unique and outside of our frame of reference. And therefore holiness, the fourth thing I want to say about holiness, is holiness evokes in us in a response. And that response is both seen in awe and wonder and in fear and trepidation. Falling prostrate before him. It's because we see him. And we see that repeated throughout scripture. And that's why, for instance, in Ezekiel, Isaiah 6, we have this great description of somebody experiencing the holiness of God. Isaiah had a vision. In Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 3. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they were covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Not just holy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy. But can you see even him trying to experience what he was seeing, explain what he was experiencing and seeing with angels? It's hard for us to actually understand what is he saying with these different wings and angels. It, it's hard for us to actually, because that's what holiness is. It's hard to explain in our language, but yet he's saying, holy is the Lord. Now, why am I talking to you about holiness? Because I said to you, just stay with me and I'll tell you how it makes a real and present difference to our lives. Because simply for this, because this is what everything in life draws its place and meaning and purpose from, is this holiness of God. And so what God did is he, in a broken world, in a world that deviated from the holiness, he has through his word and through his spirit and the prophets and ultimately through the Lord Jesus come to remind us of what holiness is and what the normal is so that we can, he can bring us back to that. And he began to interact with us. And we see this story unfold in the Old Testament where God separated a people unto himself, the Israelites. And he said, I'm going to instruct you and I'm going to teach you about who I am. And that included that God taught him, them about his holiness. And, and the whole Old Testament is the story of God teaching and instructing people and through them us in his holiness and what holiness is about. 
And the, 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 the system in the Old Testament of the ceremonial laws and the cleansing and the sacrificial laws that we see in the Old Testament was all an object lesson that God was using to inculcate into these Hebrew people to, through repetition, drill into them this idea that there's a holy God but that the world has deviated from his holiness. And now we live in a world where there are things that are unclean that needs to be made clean so that they can relate to a holy God. And the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament and all the, the things they had to do, the festivals and everything, that whole system was every day reinforcing to every Jewish person that there's a holy God, but that the world has deviated from his holiness and has become unclean and now needs to be cleansed so that they can have a relationship and return back to that which is holy and which is life and which is the normal. And so whenever you read, like the book of Leviticus, it's such a difficult book for us to read. It's so hard. Most of us want to, you know, if you do a year of the Bible reading, we want to skip over Leviticus, don't we? Because it's like, it's so, you know, all the blood and all the animal sacrifices and the laws and everything. And it, it makes really little sense to us. But can I tell you, if you start digging into it with this understanding, that it is God revealing that he is a holy God. Interacting with the people that, live, that have deviated from his holiness and that are living in a world that is a deviation from the normal, which is his holiness. And that he is beginning a process of bringing them back to cleanse them so that they can have a relationship with that which is holy. You begin to start to see the pattern and the sense of it. It may take a lot of reading and, and, and digging and understanding, but that's what's happening in the book of Leviticus, Exodus, and, and Deuteronomy, and, and, and places where the law is being described. And I know sometimes people think, oh, the Old Testament has no relevance to us. Can I tell you, man, it's so important to know those lessons. Because you cannot know the new covenant by definition if you don't know the old covenant. The new doesn't make sense if it's not put against the old. And, and that's why I want to talk about this today a little bit more and say, so, so the whole scripture is, and is driven by this revelation of the holiness of God, because that's the normal. That's what God is restoring and working at. So when God worked with the Israelites, he, he initiated this system and built this system that every day through thousands of actions that they would do through their lifetime, they would be schooled in this and the scripture tells us in in Galatians 3 that the the law is a tutor and the law was this tutor that taught us God is holy we are, we're living in a world that has deviated and we have deviated from that holiness and that pattern and so therefore the building that we are building looks like this instead of you know the pillars that are trustworthy repeatable structured and that can you can put weight on we we're living in a world that's like this and God is saying but I want to restore I want to bring back my godly order. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. is God's order that is based on who he is. And so therefore, we see the system of the sacrificial system built on this. These understanding of these three concepts. Holiness, cleanness, and uncleanness. God is holy and pure. And like I said, you know, he's other morally perfect and superior. Everything he does is right. But we live in a world that is unclean, that has fallen away from that which is perfect. It is a deviation. We live in a contaminated world. We live in a world that, that spreads its germs and its, its, its deviation. Every one of us is born into this deviated world. We are 
are a deviation. So therefore, we need, God says, we need to be cleansed so that we can have relationship with that which is holy. And so these three concepts are very important. Holy is who God is. Clean is whatever God declares to be in a state. Cleanness is not a, is not a moral activity in and of itself. To be clean, as the Old Testament describes it, it's a state that you are in. To be clean is to be something that is in the right condition that it can have relationship with God. And it reflects that which is in line with God's order. And unclean is that which is in a state where it cannot have relationship with God because it is a reflection of that which is wrong with the world and the world is, has deviated from. So often when we think of unclean, we think that it is sin. That when, some, when the Bible says in the Old Testament something is unclean, it means it was sinful. No, that, that's not the case. Unclean doesn't mean it's sinful in and of itself. It means it reflects the condition of this world that is a deviation from how God created to be. That's why you would find something like, like um, women giving birth and, and people that had exposure to dead relatives and people with skin diseases were declared unclean. Are those things sin? Is it sin for a woman to give birth? No. Is it sin for, a, for, a, for me to have in contact with my dead relative? No, it's not a sin. It's not wrong morally. But it is a reflection of what is wrong with this world. Because a woman was never supposed to give birth with, with pain and within the, 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 you know, just the, the horror of that experience, the painfulness, the blood of it. That wasn't, the, perf- that wasn't the, the norm that God had in mind. So when a woman goes through childbirth, the, the experience of that is not sin. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But the, the dynamics of it is a deviation from that which was the norm that God had in mind. And therefore, in the Old Testament, it was declared to, that she was unclean and needed to be cleansed. For instance, we see this when, when a person goes to the priest and they've got a skin disease. Leprosy was classified in Leviticus 14 as one of the skin diseases uh, that they had. And so when you had any form of a skin disease, you had to go to the, the priest and the priest would see and diagnose that you have a skin disease and then you would be declared unclean. Now, a person with a skin disease, do they have a skin disease because they've sinned? No. There's no direct correlation that says this person has a skin disease and what sin did they do that gave them the skin disease? No, they, that's, not, that's not why a skin disease is unclean. But the fact that they have a skin disease is there because the world is in a sinful condition. God never created us to have skin disease. His holiness is a place where we live without disease, without you know, pain and struggle. But in the world we live in now that has deviated from that, you know, that, that carpenter's square, we now live in a world where we see these deviations. And so when a person has a skin disease, they represent the deviation and therefore they were declared unclean and had to be cleansed. So for instance, the ceremony they did in those days, and you can read about it in, in Leviticus 14, is the priest, this person would come to the priest and you know, they would be declared unclean. And then the priest would take two small birds, like two doves. And uh, he would kill the one over a bowl of water so that the blood of the dove as he was killing it would drip into the water. Then he would take that water and he would pour it over the second dove um, to show that there's life uh, and cleansing happening of creation of, of God's order 
and of, on the person's hands and, and the skin, and, they would, and the person would wash themselves with that water. Now you read it and you go, that just sounds horrible and terrible. What's that all about? I'll explain to you a little bit more later what the significance of that was. But when that happened, that person would be cleansed. They would then be state of clean so that they could come and come to God and have communion and fellowship with God. When you're unclean, you can't because God is holy. And God cannot fellowship with that which is unclean because it's outside of him. He is clean. He is holy. And the whole Old Testament, if you read it, I mean, time and again there was washing that happened. In every person had to wash regularly. There was all these washings that was going on, mostly with water, sometimes with fire. If it was metal things that had to be washed, it were washed in fire. But there was this washing consistently going on because God was inculcating in him there's a holy God. The world has deviated and is unclean, and you live in an unclean world, but God made you for himself, and therefore you can be cleansed to have relationship with God. And we see this repeated all the time. For instance, we see it in Exodus 19, verse 10 to 11, when, when Moses is coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. God says to him, Then the Lord told Moses, Go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow, and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. God says, I want to, I want to talk with my people. I want to be in their midst. But I cannot be in their midst if they've not been cleansed. They need to wash their clothes. There's a washing that needs to happen. We see that, for instance, in Exodus 40 also, um, where, where Moses built a tabernacle for the place of meeting, the place where God's people could come and meet with him. He placed, in, in verse 30 to 32 of Exodus 40, he placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting and approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. Can you see this? There was this washing. And, and you can read law upon law upon law where there was this cleansing going on. God was making a point to his people and to us, about holiness, uncleanness, and how to become clean. And the whole Old Testament teaches us that. The problem with the Old Covenant was that no matter how many times you washed, you would never be clean. You would never become in a state of cleanness. You could have temporary cleanness, but tomorrow you contaminate it again. It's like us today with dealing with COVID-19. How many times a day do you have to sanitize and wash your hands? It's like, you know, you go to the mall and uh, you want to go shopping. And so you walk into a store, you, you know, you, you bow at the door now as we enter. We all bow very nice and humbly and we bow, we hold our hands up and we put the sanitizer on. We walk into the store. I don't touch anything. I'm this there for a minute. I, I don't realize it's not the right place. I go, I go to the next store. Just, you know, 30 seconds down the road, I go to the next store. Again, I bow. I wash my hands. I clean. I go. Because... No matter how many times I've washed, I can always be contaminated again. And because we care for other people, we wash our hands the whole time because we don't want to be contaminated. Because we're living in a world where this germ is all around us. This contamination is all around us. So we're washing and we're washing and we're washing and we're washing. But no amount of washing will, can stop us from never having to wash again. And that's what the Israelites were experiencing. They were, God was teaching them because he was setting them up for something. The better sacrifice to come. The washing that will come, that'll be a once-off washing that'll take care of all the uncleanness for eternity. And that was when the Lord Jesus came. The perfect sacrifice, the Son of God that had no sin of his own, that came as the high priest, the, the superior high priest, and was able to step into the very presence of God and came from the presence of God because he was perfect. He had no sin. And he was not born in sin. 
That sacrifice was made on the cross for us so that, that when that pure blood was spilt for us, that it could wash us clean and could purify us. So what literally happens is when I recognize there's the holiness of God and that I represent the deviation from that holiness by, first of all, the fact that I'm born in sin and that my life, my body, my, my whole being reflects the deviation from the pattern of who God is and what he made life to be. And secondly, because of my own personal sin that comes forth from me, that I'm both contaminated by the, the world I live in and contaminated by my own inner rebellion and, and sin, that I recognize there's a deviation from the godly pattern. And when I recognize that and I say, Lord, forgive me for that, then I come into a place where the blood of Christ is spilt on me. And like that leper that had to be washed by the blood and the water and, and the, the, that was spilt on him, so the blood and that blood, that why the dove had to be killed, was it was pointing to us and teaching us there's something coming. There's a better sacrifice coming. And that blood that it washes me, and now I am cleansed. And the moment I believe that, the moment I put my faith in the Lord Jesus, no matter what my deviation was, I am restored and I am cleansed. And this cleansing is not an outer cleansing, it's an inner cleansing. It's the circumcision of the heart. It's the cleansing of my, of my, of my inner being, that I am cleansed. We see that, for instance, in, in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul writes to the Corinthians from verse 8 to 11. He says, instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and sisters, or you do not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. People that have deviated from that which was the pattern of the normal, which is holiness, cannot inherit life that can only be had by that which is perfect. As long as you stay in the deviation, you're going to, that's what life is going to be. You cannot inherit and have that which is perfect. And then he gives us a list. It's not an exhaustive list. There's many other things that you can give, add to it, but he's, he's making a point, and he gives a list of deviation from that which God had intended. He says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindles will, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He's not picking on specific things necessarily and saying, these are, he's trying to make a point that there's a deviation behavior that you see in us that is the deviation from that which is God's pattern, that which is God's normal. And while we live in that, we cannot be restored in the, to the holiness of God. But then he says in verse 11, and that is what some of you were. That is your past condition. You are no longer that the deviation, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You have been cleansed, you have been washed. And that's a, it's in the script, in, in the original, it's a past tense, it's a once off event that covers every future eventuality. It's a once off washing that happens. I have been washed. So when I say I'm born again, remember Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, you, you can't inherit the kingdom of God unless you're born again in John 3 verse 5. And then you're born of the washing, of, 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 unless you're born of the water and the spirit. And it's this washing that he in part referred to, of that we are cleansed by the water of, the, of who God is. And the scripture tells us what that water is also in, 
in Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 26. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. We are cleansed by God's word. Remember, God's word is Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, John 1. And so Jesus, the sacrifice that came and washed us in the word, in who he is, the truth about who God is. The word, the logos, is the, is the reference to the normal, to that which is true, that which stands for eternity, that which is trustworthy, that which can be repeated and must be repeated. The, the divine ought, the, how we should be living our lives. He says, this sacrifice was made. To restore me back to that which is the holiness of God. And isn't it beautiful? Yeah, he says, even something as normal as, as every day, as regular as a husband and a wife, when they live in that understanding, their marriage becomes a representation, not of the deviation, but of the, of the normal, of that which is the holiness of God. And throughout the scripture, we can see how our lives now, since we've been washed by Christ, and this washing continues in us in the Word, it's like the self-cleaning that happens with us all the time. Not self by myself, but by the Spirit of God that lives within me. This continuous washing that happens. I begin to overflow with holiness. There's an overflow of holiness. And that overflow of holiness is when the world around us begins to be changed and brought back to the pattern, the carpenter square of God, what God had intended for life to be. And that's why Jesus could say, I've come that you may have life and life in abundance. Life in abundance is not merely because we believe Jesus died for me on the cross, my sins are forgiven. It's because my sins are forgiven and I am being restored and brought back to represent, because I'm clean to represent that which is the norm, the pattern of God's creation based on his holiness. And that's my argument. That's why I believe it's important for us to know holiness and to overflow in holiness. And I, I want to pray that for you today. I, I know this message has been a bit longer and, and I thank you for giving me time and I trust that you stayed with me. But I want to encourage you. Ask the Lord by His Spirit, Lord, teach me your holiness. Show me your holiness. It's the greatest thing we can see. We can only see it by faith is to see the holiness of God. It changes everything. It changes the orientation of our lives. It changes the, the, the everyday living. It makes our normal mundane lives become something that is of eternal value and something that can be beautiful. Our lives become compelling lives when we've been washed by God. And we can be in this world those people that people look at and remember how their response to holiness will be. They will look at you and go and say, wow, what is that all about? And there would be a sense of awe, a sense of admiration for your life, while at the same time also a sense of fear, perhaps a sense of rejection, of saying, I don't want to know that. that that's too, too different to other. That's why the scripture says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that to some we're a, we're a, a aroma of life and to others we're a fragrance of death. Because again, it's this what holiness is. And that's our lives. When we have been washed in the blood of Christ and the washing of the word continues in us. And Jesus washes us like he said to his disciples as he washed their feet. If I don't wash you, you have no part of me. If that washing continues in our lives, we become not a representation of the deviance, deviation, but a representation of who God is and his holiness.
And that's not an external formation. That's not an external change, firstly. That's an internal reality that changes. So can we ask the Lord, Lord, show us who you are. Teach us your holiness and help us to live holy, holy lives unto you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, for your careful instruction, for taking the effort and the time like a good teacher and a master to teach us your truth, to walk with us, to reinforce, to to make sure that we get the message so that we can know what is the normal. We can know what that which is not normal and then we can know how to get back to the normal. And I pray for that today. I pray that if there's somebody with me today that is saying, I have not recognized that I'm living in the not normal. My life represents the not normal. That today I want to come back to Jesus. I, I want to say right now, Just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness, from from representing that which is the deviation. And bring me back to you. I receive forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross today. In Jesus' name. If we end the service right now, you can send a message to our team and tell them that you prayed that prayer and they'd want to be with you and just help you in that. But Lord, I pray for the rest of us that as we journey with you, continue to wash us. We ask, Holy Spirit, make known the Father to us. Show us who God is. Reveal your holiness to us so that more and more we would know and see the perfect, the good life that you have intended for all creation. And for us to have. And so that we can be changed into your image. Changed into your plans and purposes for each of us. And let us live that in our everyday life. As we continue to be discipled in the washing of your word. And we thank you for that in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord just be with you in this week. May you experience him in his beauty, his majesty, and his nearness and his holiness. Bless you.